Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, one of the hosts of the Prestige TV podcast. HBO's Barry is back for a fourth and final season. And that means I'll be back recapping the show with co-creator and star Bill Hader to dive deep on the themes, scenes, and major moments in the series. Bill will provide insight into how every episode was made and why it's ending. New Prestige TV Barry recaps will go live every Sunday night when the episode ends. So make sure you're subscribed to the Prestige TV podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. What's poppin'? Logan Murdoch here. Raja Bell there. Real ones. You know the motherfucking vibes. Raja, you sent a text into the chat which let last night on a on a on a Sunday, which which makes me think I know you mean business, right? <laughs> you sent us the text late last night when we were watching the the, the Clippers Suns series opener, and you just sent a text into the chat. Two words. My dog. Yeah. We all know who you were referencing. <laughs> Mr. Russell Westbrook. I feel a rant coming on. No rant. And let me look at let me look at Mr. Westbrook, friend of the show's um <laughs> final line. Nine points, ten rebounds, eight assists. Three of nineteen from the field. <laughs> But it's somehow the player of the game because he grabbed a crucial offensive rebound and tossed Devin Booker down the stretch of the final possession. Not only blocked him, but blocked him and hit the ball off of Devin Booker's body, effectively ending the game. Raja, can you just tell me your range of emotions watching the the, the first game of the Clippers-Suns series and how you felt towards the end? Please just give us the whole shebang. The, the the best word to describe me watching that game was conflicted for a lot of reasons, right? Because I'm the, I'm pulling for the Suns, um, but everyone knows my affinity for Russ, and you know I I couldn't help, even though my team didn't win, I I, I couldn't help but be happy for Russ for for a lot of reasons because I acknowledged early in the game, like man, he looks really bad offensively. Like this is not. This we is, didn't get those text messages. This is we, really, we, we really didn't get bad. those ones. But then, you know, it's a great lesson for young players. It's a great lesson for all the haters. Like, you can impact a game in more ways than scoring if you choose to. And impact it in a big way. And he did that. And, you know, I was happy for him because his energy down the stretch, both defensively and on the offensive glass, like, he kept multiple balls alive and secured multiple offensive rebounds that gave them, you know, extra looks at the basket that ultimately, you know, were huge parts in in them winning the game. I just felt like that was, that was the rust that I defend, right? Like that's the guy who, who I'm telling you players on other teams 
where players on his team say, yo, I rock with Russ because of that, because I'm just going to scrap and claw and keep fighting and it's ugly and I didn't make a shot and here I am down the stretch grabbing three offensive boards, making two huge free throws and then coming up with the biggest defensive play of the game. Like that, I respected that and I was happy for him even though I was sad that the Suns lost. Roger, I think you would have shed real thug tears if you were in the building. I really do. Because I mean, it was it's one thing to to see it on television and I watched the highlights last night. But just to see Russ in the building and take on the challenge defensively was a sight to behold. Now on the other hand, him throwing up bullshit and having just weird rust turnovers on the offensive end was also a sight to behold. But specifically in that last possession, it speaks to a lot of different things, right? Because Devin Booker, the worst thing you can be in that in that moment is indecisive. When you see before the block happened from Russ, Devin Booker has the ball and he's looking at KD like, what do I do? KD's like, take his ass. And he's like, oh, I guess I got to take his ass. Then goes for a two-point shot when I believe that the Suns didn't have any timeouts because they blew two timeouts down the stretch, which was huge. Right. So he is indecisive. Russ is locked in. And the absolute worst scenario for the Suns happens at that point. Not only does Russell Westbrook block your shot, but he gets the ball off of you out of bounds with you guys having no timeouts. It was it was terrible down the stretch for the Suns. And that's something to look for going as the series progresses because when you think about this team, they played really well post-trade uh, deadline when Kevin Durant was in the lineup. But... The thing that they're, I think, is struggling right now, and I've only seen it's only one sample size, only one game, right? But one thing that I saw is down the stretch, they're still figuring out who they are. They're still figuring out what type of team they are. What, and that's that's hard to do in November. But now we're in April. And I'm curious to see how that's going to manifest and play out throughout this series where the Clippers are locked in, man. Kawhi is... Kawhi, that was one of the best games I'd seen Kawhi play in years, especially for with the stakes and the postseason and what the seeding was, um, especially seeing the performance that they had last uh, week in Phoenix. But one thing I'm concerned about, Rajado, is just how the Suns find continuity on the fly trying to win a championship this year. That's something that I was concerned about when the trade went down. How do they come together at such a fast pace to win a title? I, d- I don't have a great answer for that other than other – than, um you know, they better get it figured out pretty quickly. And, and you know, that was obviously one of the most difficult pills to swallow when KD goes down with that freak injury is you just needed whatever time. And KD is this really malleable kind of thing that you can drop into different kind of, you know, styles of play and, and different kind of roles. And he fits because of his skill set. But at the same time, you still need a a, a, a certain you know, amount of time to get things figured out. And I think the word that that I would use to describe what you were saying down the stretch of that game was execution from the Suns. There was a lack of it. That's why those timeouts had to be burned, right? Because, you know, you're coming out of timeout, you can't get the playoff, like, or it doesn't, it doesn't bear fruit in the way you think you it should when you're coming out of a timeout and or you can't get the ball in bounds and boom, now we gotta, now we gotta burn another one. And so they didn't execute like down the stretch, Kawhi Leonard had that ball in his hands, save for that last possession or so when Russ got stuck with it because they denied the heck out of, out of Kawhi. But for the most part, the Clippers were doing whatever they could do to get Kawhi the ball. And I found myself, I like DeAndre Ayton. I've, I've, I've defended him over and over again and said he should get the bag. And I'm happy that his game is rounding out. But you got Devin Booker, CP3, and and KD. And and like three out of the last five shots are, are, are DeAndre Ayton. Even he was making them, but like that doesn't, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's sustainable. That's not, that's not why you have that big three. So I think, you know, to your point, there's a little bit of maybe indecisiveness and, 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 uh, uh, lacking of chemistry from them offensively. And then, you know, that execution, um, down the stretch is, is probably a product of that. Like we're, we're just not a hundred percent sure. And I don't think Monty was great last night. Like, I don't, I think Monty had stretches of lineups that I, I, you know, I was like, what are you trying, what are we doing? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? And I'm not, listen, I, you know, I love Monty too, but like, 
you're you're not deep enough to play the way we played. You know, when you were bringing Cam Johnson and all them cats off the bench, we don't have that kind of depth. That's so 100% that, what I was thinking in the yeah. arena. Like, why are you need to just play a top heavy? If you only need to play like six, seven deep, fine. It's the fucking playoffs, bro. This it's got to be. It is. It's got to be. And, and he was just bringing guys. That, cause, and here's another thing that was interesting because a week before the series, you know, the, 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 uh, the Clippers had come into Phoenix and were playing a lot of uh, Phoenix's backs up, backups, and they played really well. The Phoenix Suns played really well in their backups. And I think there was a, a lot of uh, fool's gold in that. You know what I'm saying? Where you see all these guys play well, you get lost up in the moment, and you say, oh, I might give this guy a chance. Monning has to tighten up his lineup. There's there's no reason why. There's more than enough scoring. Them dudes are in shape. They're fine. Play your starters because the starters play really well. I think that they, they, they did a really good job, but I think that the key to this and the difference between the two teams is the Clippers know themselves at this very moment. They know exactly who they are. They know exactly what to do down the stretch. And I think that was the key, especially down the stretch of the ball game, Ron. Well, that... I wouldn't disagree with you on that. Um, know, knowing yourself and understanding how we want to operate in these tight situations comes with experience and and time together. That's that's kind of what I refer to when I'm talking about chemistry, and that allows you to execute because you know what we're, you know right where we're getting into, right where we want to get the ball, how we want to do this. Uh, it, it, best case scenario, obviously, sometimes you have to pivot off of that and and like Russ did, make a play. But you know, for the most part, you know what you want to do. I would just say this also. Um, there was, you know, I try to teach this to young kids about, about basketball, and I think it, it's in any contact sport. The more physical team typically has a better chance of winning. And the Clippers were more physical. Like, they were the more physical team. I mean, they were crashing the glass. They were, they were you know, they were, you saw Chris Paul into it with, um, with Terrence Mann. We referenced all the offensive boards. Um, I think they just had more of an edge. And so the physicality was, was the, the, the game of physicality was won by the Clippers. So you, you, you start to, you know, layer things on top of each other, lack of execution. One team understood what they wanted to do down the stretch more than the other. Um, I, I think T. Lou won the coaching, the coaching um, matchup last night and they're more physical than you. I mean, it's tough to win those games. Yeah, and it's also another thing though, like, Back to the the point of them knowing each other, it's hard just in general when the Suns where you're like, you're just playing with a new group. And I think this goes, and correct me if I'm wrong, Roger, but I think this speaks to your physicality argument. If you don't really know like your defense yet and you don't really know like how your teammates play defensively, is that hard or easier to make it make it physical? Because I don't think you can be as physical as you can with other teams if you don't have continuity as a defensive front. Well, I mean, because you get what I'm it, saying? Because the Clippers are on a string every single time. They know teammates. They know he's coming. He's checking this guy. He's doing these things that he's got. They're on a string. Whereas yeah. the Suns, it seems like, are very way more indecisive in their actions defensively. The physicality that I'm talking about, while that might be true, um, manifests itself on the on the boards, um, the hustle, the hustle plays, the the refusing a box out like i'm not going to lay on this box out i'm just going to keep fighting 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 and now i'm off of it and that doesn't have as much to do with chemistry now i'm sure defensively rotation wise you know uh the clippers were better as well just because of the the understanding of concepts and 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 probably defensive philosophy but i just saw the clippers and it boils down to something so simple they look like they wanted the ball more when it was up for grabs it looked like they felt like it was, I don't know. I don't know if anyone else felt that. It came across to me that way. It just felt like they won. And there were a few games like that. I mean, you know, if when I watched that, uh, the Knicks-Cleveland game, right? Like, this was going back and forth. This was, these were entertaining games. And then New York just wanted the ball more. They just were going to fight a little harder to get the fucking ball. And when we're talking about a game that's in a three or four point range, like that's sometimes all it takes to be the separator. What do you think about Kawhi? We got to have, we have Kawhi talk. What did, what did you think about this performance and in, in the context of where he's at in his career and where he, where, and what the Clippers need from him with Paul George out? Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the thing. Paul George wasn't even there for that. That's pretty, 
You know, that's that's pretty remarkable. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's definitely not the player he was in Toronto. Um, you know, watch, watching him and the way he moves, right? You can see that, but that doesn't mean hey, bro, he still first, can't. First play, though, first play, this motherfucker tried to go catch a body on Kevin oh. Durant, dog. He was he was locked in. <laughs> no doubt. And and still will flash and still can hang. Like, he hung 38. It was a brilliant performance. Um, so I was, you know, what I was going to say was he's not that player, but he's still a damn good version uh, uh, of of himself, just not not probably – you know, the apex version of himself, but you have to, in playoff games, you either have to have your stars perform at at big-time star playoff performance level, which Kawhi typically does, right? That's usually what he does. But in the absence of that, you're going to have to have what LeBron and, and AD had, which is role players step up and give you way more than they normally give you. Right. Like, but th- those are the recipes that have the boxes that have to get checked in a lot of, you know, playoff scenarios. And so Kawhi did exactly what the Clippers are going to need him to do, minus Paul George. It's the only way they have a hope. He's going to have to carry the lion's share of the offensive load. They were committed to getting the ball, uh, getting in the ball. And, and, you know, if you look at their point production outside of him, like it, it was cool, but. You know, even a but guy that's like, my biggest thing. Why aren't they blitzing Kawhi, bro? There's no other option. Why? What the fuck? Why don't they just let other people beat them? Like, why is why don't they? Is that something that you think they're going to do in game two? Just blitz Kawhi and just say fuck it. We're gonna just we're gonna. Look, Nor- Norman Powell is, is is an excellent scorer. Like automatic, like the microwave comes off, gets buckets. Um, you know, I, Eric Gordon can put it in the hole. I, I yes. But this is why I, it's a chess. Right? Playoffs are always these chess matches, right? We go back to the drawing yeah. board. We try to figure it out. But I do think when I said I didn't think Monty was great last night, look, this is the chess match within these these playoff series, right? We 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 had a game plan. Um, we executed it the best we could. These were the results. What do we have to do now? Um, in between games, I imagine they make some adjustments to try to make other people beat them. At least I would whether that's just a pure blitz of Kawhi or some other defensive strategy, I think I think I would be interested in exploring that. Um, having said that, and this is why I said, uh, you know, amongst other things, I didn't think Monty had a great night last night. Um, you know, you're, you're dealing with a lineup with very, like, real limits outside of Kawhi. That's something you might be able to do in-game. Yeah. Like on the fly, just throw something at it and see what it does. Because it wasn't like it wasn't like Kawhi wasn't cooking in the first half. It's like, yo, we're just gonna fucking blitz him all second half, and then we're gonna use our two great scores to get us back into the game. Yeah, well, I mean, look, we we've all you know, sometimes NBA series are so crazy, man. Like to to watch all of the games and see the teams that came out, um, ready to play and locked and loaded and see the teams that came out um, just a little sleepy and, and, and the Suns fell into that little sleepy category a little bit for me. Like they, they weren't bad, uh, but they just a little sleepy. And so sometimes um, if you have great players and, and they do, you know, you need something like this to wake you up, yeah. smack you in the face yeah. and say, Hey, 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 this is coming at you real quick. It's not a lot of time to be bullshit let's wake up. I got the Suns winning game two. Who do you have? I'll, I'll take the Suns in game two at home. Um, the fucking better win it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the Suns in game two. And I don't have a I don't have a great feel on this because some of the some of the things that the Lake that, that the Clippers do. First of all, T. Lou is really really good. Yes, I mean he. I spent time with him. Um, what makes Ty Lue a great coach? For, well, I mean, he's got a great rapport with players. Um, you know, he's 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 really relatable, really cool, um, but not afraid to draw that line where you know, as one of his players, like while he's cool, there is this line. He is the coach, right? And he will hold me accountable mm-hmm. and put me in check when I need to be there. That's very important. You can't be too cool, but he has he has a real ability to to do what I was just referencing. Like he sees what's taking place. Um, and T. Lou will make a quick, you know, he's a he's a good a, adjuster and good strategizer um, to what's taking place, and not afraid to change it, even if it worked last game. And he thinks maybe you're going to catch on to it. He'll flip it on you and throw something else out there. So I think, you know, his his 
I mean, X's and O's isn't the real way to put it, but strat- his strategizing, feel. yeah, his feel for what's going on feels a good word. His feel is really uh, um, high level. We'll see what happens, man. We're gonna uh, mm-hmm. we're gonna go to Memphis and we're gonna talk about LeBron and AD and Rui Hachimura and Austin mm. Reeves. Mm. The NBA playoffs are here, and you can turn crossovers into cash with FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA right now and place a $5 bet, and you'll get an instant $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. Hey, man, there's a there's a nice little slate of playoff games tonight. And I think I'm going to take the under on Warriors-Kings, and I'm going to take the over on Sixers-Nets. Why not? There's no better chance to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Just go to FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA and sign up to get $150 in bonus bets when you bet your first five bucks. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com backslash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hope is here. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. 467-369 New York. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with the Kansas Star Casino LLC. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342-ARIZONA. 1-800-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat Connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas 1-877-770-STOP-LOUISIANA visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland 1-800-522-4700 Wyoming or visit www.1800gambling.net West Virginia This episode is supported by State Farm Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm and now that I do have State Farm it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. What an incredible win for the Los Angeles Lakers, Roger. Is that the win of the playoffs right now? Like, I, what, what do you think? That was, a, that was such a great game. That was one of the, the fun games that I've seen in the postseason that makes you think, like, oh, we're here now. We're here. We're, this is a different game. What did you see from there? I have thoughts, but I'd like to hear yours first. What did you see from the overall matchup? Um, it, really entertaining. Um, great, great game to watch. I did not love the the blitzing, uh, and it wasn't even a blitz. Like what they were doing to AD, like flooding from low weak side and just being in like a kind of a two three zone. Like without the size, Memphis. All right, let me. Sorry, I'm. This is really convoluted, so I want to be clear about it. Memphis with the lack of size, with the two bigs out of their lineup. Right, um, you're already playing against a, a pretty big Laker team and physical. So when you take one of your bigger players when LeBron or AD catches it in the lower quarter of the court and you're going to bring them across the lane low, right? 
and you're not going to commit to really double them. I mean, sometimes they were, but sometimes they were just coming halfway there and it was a really soft double team. The idea is, hey, he sees a lot of bodies. He's not going to go to work. He's going to move the ball, right? Well, if he can get it out of there quick enough, they catch you in a rotation and now they're they're driving the ball. But where it where it where where it really hurt them was if that player still gets a shot up and you've now got your weak side rebounding across the floor on the strong side, the Lakers were big on the weak side of the floor and they were just beating them up, you know, on the glass. So I didn't lo- I didn't love that. At least at least not as wholesale as they decided to do it. Right. Like they were just like, hey, we're going to do it. Here it comes here. One, two, three. Here we come. Like, nah, dog, <laughs> that's not going to work against players l- like of that level. And then I thought the Lakers did a better job at times. Two things of a getting into the paint. Right. Like getting into the paint, collapsing the defense or finishing at the rim. And when or if you can't collapse it and now we're kicking out, I, th- I thought through stretches, they did a better job of Memphis at that. Memphis got back to it. And I also you know, it boils down to sometimes down the stretch. Memphis went cold. Jaron Jackson missed some some buckets in the lane. Um, uh, uh, um, you know, things things didn't work out for them in terms of making a bucket. And Austin Reeves was cooking. And so for the last for the last four minutes of that game, one team was making plays and one team wasn't. So you referenced just how they defended uh, the Grizzlies defended the Lakers and. I mean, Austin gets all the shine, and rightfully so. Rui, we're going to talk about him in a second. But Anthony Davis, I'm pausing for just just because I'm thinking about all the plays that he that he that he made, and it was like Bubble AD, Raja. So like it, Bubble AD was back, and it was one of the, it was it was the whole ad experience raja where he's balling he has the injury where he can't feel his arm comes right back steel balls out scares the shit out of you but played and stretches was the best player on the floor and it's when i see that lakers team it's like oh shit they're a contender i don't know who's beating them I, I, if they're like that, if they're locked in and find that groove, because this is one thing that the Lakers have always been missing um, throughout, you know, I, I guess say since the the bubble season, the season afterwards, they were missing complimentary pieces that can get you buckets that can that can. LeBron finally had the 2010 and 10 game that like you wanted him or near those numbers where, OK, that's all we needed from LeBron in that moment. There were so many ancillary pieces balling out and if the Lakers have AD playing the way he's playing and have a consistent because I think they have the group to do it have a consistent bench play they're tough man Lakers are tough 1000% and the pieces that they brought in not only fortified their offensive um, you know ability but they're very stout defensively as a unit. Like they, they, you know, I just referenced Memphis kind of not getting to the rim in, in, in pivotal moments. And, you know, I should probably, if I'm being fair, give credit to the Lakers. Like it's easier said than done. Like I'm saying, Hey, let's get to the rim. But if you're looking up and there's a, you know, six eleven with his hands in the air, you know, Jared Vanderbilt's draped all over John Morant and, you know, he, puts his head down to get by him. And before you know it, you're running over AD at the, at, you know, that's much easier said than done. So credit the Lakers and those pieces, not only fortifying their ability to score Logan, but their ability to defend, you know? And so that makes them very formidable. Now, you know, what I was saying, like, you're not getting 29 out of Rui every night. You're not getting, you don't need it though. Right. That you was beautiful performance. Rui Jordan awesome. out here. <laughs> it was, it was awesome. But like, you're going to get the AD game with 35 or the LeBron game with 36. And in those moments, you don't need the 29 out of, out of Rui. And, 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 you know, Austin can have 14. So if if you just have to have the balance, you have to have the capable players that if LeBron and AD, for whatever reason, like whether it be like, Hey, they're doubling us like last night. So we're not going to get up the volume of shots or we're off. We got other people they can they can get right offensively and they have that now and they're stout defensively so i mean 
Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty cool to watch. I, I'm gonna keep it a buck. Um, when my man was mouthing, he couldn't feel his arm. I was really concerned for you guys, but yeah. he bounced back. So but, good for good but for the I Lakers. Saw good the for replay, him. I saw the replay, and I was like, I, I don't know how hurt he he is based on. I don't know how his shoulder got hurt in the way that it did. Maybe he right. got like a stinger or something. And I was, I had confidence that he was going to come back. I was, I was a little, I, after I saw the play, I was like, he, he has a whole half to get in. So we're, right. we're Lakers are good. You're braver than me. Cause when I saw it, albeit I didn't see anything either that would have warranted a uh, major injury. I mean, I, I did have my concerns, right? But let me just say this. What the other thing, and I don't know if we're getting really technical basketball wise now, but I also liked, the Lakers' commitment last night to to running some action to get to get the slight advantage to then get downhill or to get into whatever you wanted to do, right? It wasn't just coming down ISO, we're gonna handle the ball. Let me and and sometimes bronze teams can do that where we're not getting into anything. Now it wasn't like really really uh excessive action where we're running these, you know four you know part sets that have you know it wasn't like that they were coming down they were running some action on the weak side on strong side boom ball was getting swung to the weak side and then we were playing out of our advantage whatever that looked like and and they did that in a way that memphis didn't um all the time i thought they were more committed and more consistent in just making the defense move i talk about this all the time man if you're gonna sit there with no action and have to go against jared vanderbilt and have LeBron sitting in a gap and have um, AD roaming around the rim and Austin Reeves in a gap and Dennis Schroeder or somebody else, you know, lurking on the weak side and you've not run anything and changed anyone's defensive assignment. Like, first of all, but first of all, like you're, that's a very, very tall task. But let's say you get a shot up and this is the, this is why it's important to make people move and drive the ball because You've not made AD have to move. So when that shot goes up, if it's missed, he's gobbling that up. Where the Lakers on the other end, they're running a little bit of action. They're moving you around. Then they're playing out of advantage. They're downhill. And the only big they have on the floor, Jaron Jackson, now has to commit to help. And that just frees them up to, to like slaughter you on the offensive glass. And so I thought that, you know, the game within the game, like the Lakers were, were more locked in and executed better than Memphis did, amongst other things. One thou wow, and also I think with Memphis's offense, and just to echo your point, and I don't know if he's going to be in game two. It doesn't look great, but every time Ja got the ball, the Lakers did a really, really good job, and also a bad job by the Memphis Grizzlies. Every time Ja got the ball, for, no matter where he was on the floor, that motherfucker ended up at the damn near half court to do a pick and roll. We're like okay, and the Lakers were like okay, we're 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 settled in. We do what you got to do. It's fine. We're just gonna blitz this pick and roll. We're already here. There was no imagination on the Memphis Grizzlies offense, and that's always been something. And more than them sticking them chest out and losing for the umpteen time, this is this is something that this has been a recurring theme, Raja. But other than that, like that historically, they have not had action in the postseason offensively. Their offense has been typically been very predictable, centered around Ja and his athleticism. And then a good team, this happened against the Warriors last year, where they're just going to be like, oh, okay, we're just going to let you flail and do the jump passes and do all the, the shit that you do that works on a Tuesday night in January in the regular season. But that shit don't work in April. You have to make really sound decisions with the basketball. And Ja Morant wasn't doing that even before he got injured. And I think the offense tend, the Memphis offense tends to get stagnant when Jaws in the in the um in the fold because he is so great, such a uh, you know, a ball dominant player. But when they when he's not in the game, you see them actually running actions and getting easier buckets. And that's what I saw in the Memphis game. And their downfall, honestly, was Ja when he's coming back and he's resetting the offense with eight seconds left in the in the um in the shot clock and getting a terrible look or a pass out of bounds or throwing the pass to the other team. That was my biggest thing whenever I saw the Memphis offense. And I don't know how you fix that. Well, you have to go back, you have to go back, you have to watch film. Um, and you have to see it, you know, we're all pretty much wired and I was, 
we're all pretty much wired to, to think it's not as bad as it is, or it's not as bad as the coach says it is, right? And even though I was a very you know, conscientious player in terms of if you were talking to the whole team about you know, shooting bad shots, and let's say I didn't shoot a lot of bad shots, so I know it's not me. There's always a part of me that's like, man, was I shooting bad shots? I need to check that out. Like, you know what I mean? But even still, I'm telling you, when a coach would tell me, and I was that guy, a coach would be like, hey guys, our effort wasn't great. You'd be like, ah, it wasn't that bad. So only when you go in there the next day and sit down and watch that film and you're looking at yourself, are you like, oh shit, that's embarrassing. Like I thought I was giving you a hundred percent and I'm really, that's 60%, you know? So like you have to sit and watch that. You have to show them that like, look, we have wasted 12 to 15 seconds of a shot clock just BSing around. And now we're getting into this late, slow pick and roll. And now we've got, you know, like you have to show them that and say, listen, guys. And the predictable pick and roll. It was like everybody everybody super, knows five seconds you're going to, oh, we're going to go back and we're going to do a fucking pick and roll. Super predictable. But but you got to see it, right? And then you have to, you know, you have to articulate to them and then show them, show them the Lakers. Like, look, this is what they did to us. Like, we are one of the better defensive teams in the league. The other thing I would say is Memphis, you know, the Lakers did what you should do against a really good defensive team. Try to get out in transition. Like, try to get out and go. You know, they had 27. Now, six of those were kind of late and they didn't count. But, you know, you, you could see they wanted to get up and go. There was a little better pace at times. And Memphis needs to, you're younger. Um, you, you know, you should be getting up and going in a way that that trumps the Lakers, at least, you know, off turnovers or, or defensive rebounds. But I, I think just you don't have to come down. They Memphis ran some good stuff coming out of timeouts last night. Really good sets coming out of timeouts. Now, I'm not saying that your sets have to be that dialed in and detailed and there has to be that much movement every time down the court. But we got to have something, some kind of light stuff that gets bodies moving, people moving, and now we're into action. Ja, don't hold it and wait. Let's get downhill right now. Or whoever that is, let's get downhill. When they did that, people had success. Bain had success doing it. Um, Jaron Jackson had success doing it. You know, Ja, when he decided to go quick and, and you know, efficiently, he had some success. So did the other one, Dylan Brooks. But a lot of that came off of quick movement and then we're getting downhill, not, not waiting and waiting and waiting and now we're trying to go against a brick wall. Okay, so... I'm going to ask you two questions just to close this segment out and just to see what we got for game two. Ja, ja doesn't play. What happens for the rest of the series? Well, the Lakers win the series. Um, but I, I could see a world in which because that ball's not being held to the same degree, Memphis looks pretty good. Like, you know, I don't know that they necessarily fall off and can't compete in these games, but uh, I, I tend to think, you know, if the Lakers are going to have role support the way they do and the way they're defending, if you if you don't have Ja, see, because, you know, we can say all this shit and, and Ja should play a little quicker and it shouldn't be so predictable, but he could also bust off for 45 on you and just turn the whole game on its head. So, you know, without him, I don't give them any chance to win the series. Um but they could be competitive. Question number two, and I'll answer it first. Who do you think is winning game two? I got the Grizzlies. I think whether Java plays or not, because the Grizzlies are a great team in general, but they typically are a really good team when Ja is out of the lineup. And it's a must-win game for them. I think they'll get that that uh they'll get the split going back to Los Angeles. And I do agree with you. I think if Ja's not there, Lakers are winning it. But I do think that they hold for him, uh home court going into uh, into game two? I think that if Ja is not there game two, it will, it will, the, the Grizzlies will be a, a game team. They'll be, they'll be there to fight. I think the Lakers beat them if Ja's not there in game two. Here we go. Let's go to the Eastern Conference really quickly. Um, Bucks Heat. Heat culture. Heat culture. <laughs> Hey, look, they're gonna what play the you. Fuck, Rod? They're, they're gonna play you hard, bro. Like they they they're not going anywhere. Let me just say this, please. Let me just do this. The camera. Hey, here's the ball. I'm passing you the ball. Here you go. I'm out. I'm clearing out. I'm over there. Nah, this go ain't ahead. gonna be viral. This is no hot take or anything. Like, and I don't mean to throw any shade at the heat. Uh, again, Milwaukee came out, looked like a sleepy team. 
The Heat was doing a good job of like, man, the Heat was walled up everywhere. They were like in gaps, like, nah, you guys ain't getting to the hole. Milwaukee was hugged up, and the Heat were like, yo, you going to play back in the paint? Like, we're just getting downhill on you. Here we come. Like, they they seemed to be a little more dialed in, and and maybe it had something to do with playing two games and being, like, ready to go. But, I mean, it's without Giannis, dog. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, wait, I mean, you fucking beat him without Giannis. Good for you. Like, that's not your fault. But I'm not playoff sitting here telling you. Playoff win is a playoff win. Word. But I'm not sitting here telling you that, like, if Giannis comes back, I'm worried for the Bucs. I'm not. Okay, so I got questions right here. What is that game? And I think this is the overall question for the entire postseason, right? What are um, What's that first game like, right? Especially when you're a Heat team that is playing, you're the lower seed, and you're a team that has been playing a couple of games. You've played a playing game. You're... You're fresh. You're ready to go. You whereas because I was Jesse, like I think about the Suns. We were talking about the Suns earlier. Like they just they just had they had two scrimmages in a, like for a week, and they just like they didn't play any basketball, and they had time off. When you're going into that first game, what is that process like? Let's it, we'll talk about it in the within the confines of Bucks Heat. But what is what is the goal for both teams and? Why is the game one so tricky for especially the higher seed with the home court advantage? Um, look, the I mean, it's human nature, right? Like the underdog, the underdog coming into your building has has really they have nothing to lose, right? Like they're here to just play loose and free in a way that you just don't you can't fake that as the high seed, as the number one seed. Um, you couple that with you can't practice at playoff intensity. No matter what you try to cultivate in a practice gym, most teams aren't practicing anyway right now, right? So playoff level intensity and 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 uh uh physicality is something that you know uh an older team like the Bucks as seasoned as they are, that's probably something they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to groove our way into that. Now that might have been okay if you were playing another team that hadn't played in any playoff games yet, but the heat had played in two and, and culturally they are, they are the team that is like, like maybe like the Knicks and some of those other teams out there, they're going to fight you for everything. That's just the way they're built. So you're going to have to beat them. And so the Bucks came out. They were on some bullshit. Like it was, it was like slow motion for them a little bit. Um, and the Heat have just, you know, they were warmed up. It's like coming into a gym and hopping into a playoff game, Logan. You just walked in, tied your shoes. They needed, they needed like a, a tenth player because the game before, the game before, had a kid drop out and leave, and everybody's warm. And you're out there ice cold, just trying to get a feel on what's going on, right? Just tied your shoes. Ain't got a shot up yet. That's what the Bucks look like in the Heat. They like, see Raja against his kids, basically, right? Like how you are when you try to do a little jump yeah, shot like, with body in the I, trunk playing in the background. But they got a lather up. They're sweating. The Heat are ready to go. Yeah. And and so, you know, I think the Bucks would have found that groove. Um, I think they're the type of team that can do it. And then Giannis gets hurt. And the ramifications of him being hurt on both your offense and your defense um, are, are catastrophic. Is that important? What? Listen. The way the Bucs shot from three last night, like I don't mean any disrespect to the Heat's defense. Like it was the Heat's defense um, was was really good. The Bucs shot 24% um, from three last night. The reason being, there's no one out there that's collapsing your defense repeatedly. Giannis is Giannis is a is a magnet on the offensive end for defenders, right? Whether it be in a trap or it being some sort of real gap coverage where you're building this wall so he can't get ahead of steam downhill. So when that ball starts moving, you got defenders in conflict and someone winds up with a wide open shot. You take him out of the equation and people don't have to help the same way or double and those shots become contested. And even NBA players, like that's why you see those videos of dudes making 30 or 40 in a row with no hand up. Mm-hmm. It's what we do. We've mastered it. You have somebody running at us and we shoot 40 some percent. Yeah. And so that's, that's still pretty, hey, that's still pretty fucking good. <laughs> no, it is. But I guess my point is like, 
when Giannis is out there, you're shooting wide open Jays. Like now you're shooting contested Jays over and over again. This, yeah. this defense can be yeah. in your face because you don't have, you know, the main cog in your offense. And then defensively, like when you have, when you have Lopez and Giannis on the floor defensively, I mean, you've got a lot of, there's not a lot of room to operate around that for Jimmy Buckets. I mean, he's still very good. And when he plays like that, the Heat are really good, but there's just not that much space. There's not that much freedom because of the length that's around that paint. It's just, well, just uh, the latest reporting says that uh, uh, Bucks are optimistic Giannis will be back for game two. Right. If he's back for game two, the Bucks, the Bucks are fine. They'll be okay. Fine. They're gonna. They'll. They'll be fine. Tyler Hero also. He, I'm, I'm assuming he's out for the series. He's done. It's over. It's, if, it's, if Tyler Hero is out, even if the Bucks don't have Giannis for Game Two, the Bucks are fine. Mm. I mean, uh, I mean, listen, Jimmy, forgive me, because J- Jimmy is one of those guys who can hop into mode where he goes like, "Yo, while I'm I'm not a 35 <laughs> a night guy in the regular season, I just become one in the playoffs." I know <laughs> it's just crazy because like. With Jimmy, it's like he's the the overachiever in the way that like it's it's almost like you feel bad because you always know there's a ceiling. It just is what it is, right? Like I think even think about the bubble year. It wasn't an I don't I I even when he was balling, I never thought oh it's gonna turn into a title. He's gonna play against the wrong team and then they're gonna lose because they're that's just. He overachieves that much. You get what I'm saying? It's not really shade. It's like, yo, he's he's he always exhausts every single thing that he has. But I don't, I don't. He still don't. I don't think he's a number one. I don't. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't. Is I don't that think fair? Jimmy's, I do. I think that's fair. I mean, that's no. That's no shade. I think Jimmy is a great player, um, and I'll get every ounce out of it. And can can be a number one at times. I don't think he's. You know, ideally, you're number one on a on a championship winning team, and I think that's okay. Um, I would I would just say this though, thinking about it a little bit more, the the Heat and the Bucks. I mean that that was the series in the bubble, right? Um, when mm-hmm. when Giannis went out in that one, and Chris Middleton won a game, but that's a that's a very interesting matchup for the Bucks because of the history there, because of the tenor of the series. Um, I, I'm not worried about the Bucks, but I, I'd like to think that if I was in the Bucks, I'd not like to think this is for sure. If I was in the Bucks front office, I would have been like, we don't want the Heat. We just don't. I mean, I don't think I don't think anyone wanted the Heat, man. Because we we're, like, we're talking about the Celtics, like they probably didn't want the Heat either. That's fair. You know, it's just like I don't <laughs> think anyone wants the Heat if they if they can avoid the Heat. Just that's a credit just to Jimmy Butler fact, and company for sure. Just for the simple fact that, like, and I'm thinking about this with the Suns Clippers series, bro. Like, you just. Even if you know you're going to win, you're going to get your ass whooped. For a week and a half, you're just going to get your fucking ass whooped with these types of teams. The Heat probably not going to win, but they're going to win a couple rounds of the fight for sure. Like, they're going to, and you're going to feel that. It's going to hurt. You better get it done in five games. You know what's crazy? This is the way I would sum that up. You're right. They might not win, but they might be the reason you don't win. Like, two series later. No, right. Because you like, just don't have the legs. They might be the reason, like, you don't ultimately get it done because they beat the hell out of you and took way more out of you than a first-round opponent should have taken out of you. Oh, God, bro. I hate those teams. I hate those teams. Who was that team for you? Who was the team back in the day for you that would just, like, you wouldn't necessarily, was it like Utah or something where you guys wouldn't necessarily lose to them, but you would, like, just feel it afterwards? Um, I mean, we didn't have a playoff opponent like that. We always played, like, hot to my memory, high level, you know, high level playoff opponents like the Lakers, the Clippers, those were teams that could beat you. Like they were going to stretch you and beat you. But I think the Jazz were always a team like that for a lot of people because yeah. of because of Jerry's style of play. You know, yeah. and and going to Utah is no joke. So like you couple those two things together and that's always going to be a physical. You know, the the Pistons were like that but the, but they were really really good. They were a championship. They were team. elite team. Yeah. But the physicality that you had to play with, the what that turned into physically, what you felt like after that, those were tough. What was the get? Where was the game? Regular season or postseason? That the next day you're like, fuck, dude. Like I can't even walk. It's like I played a, at a football game. Yeah. The the Pacers. The Pacers mm. with 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 uh with um Stack and Ron and 
and uh and Jermaine and what was the big Scott Foster? Like was it not Scott Foster? I would Foster? hate playing against Foster. Ron Artis. What's his uh, name? Greg Jeff? Foster. No, not Greg. Was it Greg Foster? Big head old dude, play. man. Doesn't matter, but they were physical, as were the Detroit Pistons. Like when you left those two games, those were physical. I used to watch Ron Artest play basketball on um, on television, and I just realized, bro, like I would fucking hate playing against him, dude. Like he's gonna foul the shit out of you. They're only gonna call two the whole game. He doesn't care, and he's just gonna make. He's gonna get you out of your game bro. every single time. Brad Miller, like they were, they and they took pride in being a little dirty. Ron Artest. This wasn't story time, but this is why ultimately, like Ron and I got sideways for me. I mean, he, there was a loose ball in Indiana. I was with the Mavericks and I was going for the loose ball. Like I had it secured. I was laying on it. This man like dove from, from behind me. Like I'm, I'm laying face down kind of on the ball. My man like jumped on my back and shot me a forearm to the back of the neck. Like, bow. <laughs> I was like, damn. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate it, like, but damn, you, hey, he, he, you knew you was getting. But here's the thing, though, Ron, you knew you was getting that, right? Like, you knew that every night you were getting like that was that was part of the shit, right? Wasn't whatever yeah. you went to go play, Ron? Oh yeah, no, but that I mean, yes. So when you're asking who the most physical, you know, the physical teams were, like the Pacers, and the Pacers prided themselves on that, like that had gone back to like. The Davis brothers with with uh with uh you know the the different pieces they had there with with uh, also if Larry Bird is your coach, bro, you're gonna have some fucking pride and play with some physicality. Yeah, for sure. If Larry for Bird sure. is your coach, for sure. Um, let's get to the matchups for tonight. Uh, Brooklyn Nets at Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, did, we saw game one. I mean, shout out Mikael Bridges for out here balling, but like. Nets just don't have it. They're probably going to get swept. Yep. Um, let's go to Sacramento. Rah, rah. Light the motherfucking beam. Mm. All right? Mm. What are we thinking about this game? I, so this is, this is my first impressions of the series. First off, Sacramento is fucking electric. It's 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 fucking electric. Um, they kicked out a uh, friend of the show E40, which is not which was not a good look. Right. Um, it was definitely not a good look. Um, but other than that, like it was electric. All of downtown Commons was popping. Um, the the Kings fans deserved that win. I thought it was good. I'm just very <laughs> curious if the Kings can match that because they had they had such a great game and played probably the best game that they that they they played all season mm -hmm. and they were a Steph Curry three away from overtime with the Warriors playing like shit mm -hmm. what does that tell you Raja I think I know what it tells me I think that the Warriors are going to take game two but that's my impressions on the series right now is that the Warriors on their bad game could still like muster out like one of those victories and all the Warriors need to do they just need to steal one it doesn't really matter like about the first game they just steal one they're in good shape for this series oh yeah the Warriors aren't tripping like if you don't get that first game but you you were right there and had a shot at it like I mean while probably kicking yourself for not getting the win you're not tripping off of that um you just gotta you know flip it tonight uh I tend to agree with you um in in that if everything goes right for Sack and, and it's electric and you've got all this juice and energy and and all of that working for you and we're right there with a chance to win it, I tend to think that Golden State is the better bet. I would just I would just say, all right, that watching those two teams get up and down the way they did. Like, I had seen Sack, and I know they played fast, and I'd seen Golden State, but I hadn't seen Golden State play Sack this year. I hadn't tuned in for one of those, right? Yeah. Those are fun matchups. Those are yeah. fun matchups all season. Well, I mean, I, I saw it the other night, and shout out to Andrew Wiggins for looking really good coming back like, like he didn't miss a beat. And that's going to be the X factor for me, ultimately. But let me just say this. There is a world in which those legs in Sacramento and Mike Brown's messaging of just go, keep going, go, go, shoot it, go, go, is, is a lot for Golden State to handle. Mm. 
I'm going to go with Golden State. I'm just saying. You know, I like to do the devil's advocate thing and play both sides of the fence, so I'm going to say it. That pace is a neutralizer. Everyone has a plan, Logan. When we played, like, Sac is kind of like we were as a Phoenix Suns team where we're playing faster than everybody. You might think you're playing fast, yep. but you ain't playing fast like us, right? Yep. And everyone has a game plan for that shit. Everyone thinks they're going to do this defensively. Here's what we're going to do on pistol action early between Steve and Raja or Steve and LB. Like, here's what we want to do. Here's what we're doing with, with drag action with Steve and Amari and Steve and Trey. Like, we got all these. This is what we're doing until that fucking pace hits you. And now it's happening on the fly at a thousand miles an hour. And oh shit, we just blew it. Oh fuck. We blew it again. And that pace is a neutralizer. I'll just say that. Also, when you're talking about that, a lot of friends of the show on Sacramento staff, right? We got, we got, we got Leandro Barbosa. We got uh, Alvin Gentry still mobbing in the front <laughs> office as an advisor. <laughs> like, <laughs> shout out to, <laughs> so, uh, all that to say, they got a lot, like, got a lot of great staff in Sacramento, right? Like, just, they, they're built, they're definitely building something there. Um, I, I do agree with you on that pace argument. One thing, though, that I did see from the Warriors, they had pretty much control of the game throughout of it. Like, they could, the thing that the Warriors need to do is control the pace. And I think that they're smart enough to be able to do that. The thing is, what the Warriors need to do, they need to slow the game down and make the Kings run sets. And Listen, I don't know if that's going to happen. This is so crazy, right? Because that's what my gut says. And it would right? be, I'd be interested. I'd love to ask Steve Kerr because there have been a lot of instances where I'm like, yo, we got to control that pace. And the, and the coach's answer is, yo, we need to go faster. Yep. Like, and, and I see it just the way you see it. I say, well, Golden State has this incredible action. And while we might not be able to control like Sac Sacramento, you know, and dictate to them with our defense, we can dictate the pace with our offense. Meaning mm -hmm. the Golden State Warriors, like we which, we yeah. can which, we yeah. can just we could just well, I'm not saying grind it out. That's not their style, but we can play at a at like a eight tenths of our normal pace, which makes them have to sit just a little longer, which just throws off their rhythm. And I'd be really interested to see, you know, what what Steve Kerr and company's answer to that is. Is it just hey we we got better, more mature players, we can outpace you, or hey, all right, guard us a little bit, like guard us a little bit. And and now, like, you know, we've just started to grind this down fractionally. And I, I think that's what's going to happen. And also, like, ironically, that's how teams beat the Suns, right? Like, it was like, oh, we're just going to, like, you guys are going to play at our pace. Chill out. Relax. That's what's going to happen. And we're going to make you guys run half-court action. Well, not every – I mean, that was everyone's plan. But not everyone can do that, right? And so – because I always say like this, human nature, it's a lot easier to speed up it's a lot easier to be enticed into speeding up and playing fast because that's normally what people want to do. What? Like I'm open. It's on fun the break. as fuck to play fast. But wait, I caught this ball. I'm open on the break and okay, I'll shoot it. You know what I mean? Like, yep. fuck it. Like I'll shoot it. Like it's easy to tease people into doing that. Oh, here you go. Get this layup. Go ahead. Take that. We're going to get it out and go back and shoot a three. And, and you know, you're like, yo, yeah, we might get that layup but it's fool's gold because they're flying back the other way and now we're flying back the other way and now we've shot a bad three and they're used to doing this. So now they're going the other way and they got another high percentage shot and now the tempo is out of control for us. And yeah. so not everyone can do that. Like it's the game plan, but I think Golden State is one of the teams that because of their championship pedigree, their coach and their, and their high level of half court offense, they can, and it doesn't have to be a monumental shift in pace, but they can slow you down fractionally, make you guard, and grind that tempo down just a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a fun night, man. I got the Warriors winning game two. You got the Warriors winning game two? I'm taking the Warriors in game two, my boy. Okay. All right. Well, no snowfall talk today. I've been on the oh. road. Oh. So we're going we're gonna to get to that oh. next week for the series finale. If you know, you know. In the meantime, in between time. We will see you guys on Thursday. Make sure you tap in with us Mondays and Thursdays. Um, I got to go take a nap. Talk to you guys soon, man. Uh, it's been a real one. Monday. Talk soon. All the shits. Ah, tap in. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. 
When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.